Hello and welcome to the Clutch Tennis Podcast. This week we are covering the ATP Hamburg, UMAG and Atlanta events and we have Luke to join us. Hello Luke, how are you doing? Hello Charlie, I am good thanks, how are you? Not too bad, again bright and breezy um, and I've actually got to dash out after this podcast so got to keep it on schedule. Um, but yeah, no, I'm, I am good. Um, I can't even see what the weather's like here, but I'm going to presume sunny. What's it like over in cold, wet and windy UK? Yeah, I mean, you've nailed it with that. I mean, it's, it's pretty miserable, to be honest. I mean, we're, we're supposed to be in, in prime summer in mid-July and it's, it's cold and, and rainy. And that is why you pay £1,300 to get a return flight to Australia. Um, anyway, um, this week, obviously, we were coming off the back of um, an interesting week last week because it follows the slams. Um, interesting first title winner in Pedro Cachin over in Gustad. Um, in Bustad, um, we had Andre Rublev taking down Kaspar Ruud in a very high-level final from, from him. Um, and I think they were the only two events, weren't they? Uh, there was also no, there was, I wasn't a Hall of Fame Open um, yeah. where Manorino beat uh, the 18-year-old um, Mitchelson in the in the final um, and it got, it got his hands on that title for the first time in 10 years I think it was um, so so yeah that's um, that was last week obviously a bit of a strange one never really the best to bet on that week straight after a slam and obviously with Wimbledon, Carlos Alcaraz taking home his first ever Wimbledon title and Djokovic's first loss in like five years or something, I think it is, at Wimbledon. Um, anything that you want to kind of throw down from the last couple of weeks, Luke? Um, not really. I mean, I'll get into my Wimbledon recap in a second. Um, obviously, Alcaraz very impressive. Um, I, I thought it was a great final, to be honest. Because um, obviously the, the first... Um, Alcaraz Djokovic meeting at the Slams this year did not live up to the, the expectations. I mean, the, the first two sets were not great in quality, and then obviously Alcaraz uh, started cramping the third set. Um, but whilst, you know, I don't think any either of them played their absolute best, but I thought large parts of it were, were pretty high level. And just, just the, the movement on display from both of them was was just ridiculous to watch. And yeah, a lot, lot of credit to Alcaraz for for coming away with the win there because he could have easily gone away after after getting hammered in that first set but came back nicked the tie break and then and went from there yep so uh, as you say i think it was djokovic who kind of let his guard down in the second set i think if he wins that tie break like he should have done um Alcaraz's confidence would have remained low uh, djokovic would have continued playing at a high level and that match would have run away probably in straights um, yeah, Alcaraz didn't look yeah, he didn't look himself for the first two sets, really. I don't think he actually played very well in the second set that he won. Um, and then he really woke up after that, settled into the match. And then from then, it never really, in my opinion, looked like he was going to lose. Um, so fair play to Alcaraz, but just a little bit of a let off from, from Djokovic, I would, I would guess. And I think the thing is for Djokovic as well, is that if that gets a rematch at any point in any of the slams, I don't think he'll have the luxury of Alcaraz coming in with nerves anymore. Um, Having having beaten him on the biggest stage now, so um, so that's just my opinion as well. Um, anyway, as you say, 
We'll hand over to you for a bit of a, an extended recap, obviously going through both of our Wimbledon podcasts because um, we had week one and week two. So the event as a whole um, and handing over to you potentially just to go through a bit of a, a recap. I think you said you wanted to do the season so far, which will be fun. So I'll hand over to you, Luke. Yeah, so we'll, we'll start with Wimbledon. Um, obviously recorded two podcasts for that. Our second one was about halfway through, I think leading to the quarterfinals. Um, so our, our first kind of podcast accumulators um, both did not go well. I think it was Ketchmanovic who he let us down. Um, our second accumulators, um, Charlie's lost um, narrowly uh, because Sinner managed to drop a set to Sapulin. Um But mine that I kind of came up with off the cuff um, managed to come in. Whereas, I, I mean, I, I usually prepare a lot more and they, they tend to lose. So maybe it's, it's a sign to just kind of go with your gut on these things. But anyway, that double of uh, Alcaraz in straights against Runa and Medvedev Eubanks over 38.5 games came in um, at 3.58 to 1. Um, but sadly, that only kind of covers our, our losses for those accumulators. Um, in terms of outrights, it's it's a similar story, really. Um, I had uh, Medvedev and Murray, um, and Charlie had Bublik and Alcaraz. And Alcaraz obviously winning the title at 3 to 1. Um, that three-unit gain really covers the losses of, of the other three players. Um, so in terms of kind of the standard um, podcast proceedings, we we end Wimbledon basically breaking even up 0.58 units. Uh, but we also had some bonus challenges as well that we do for every Grand Slam over on our Twitter account, um, which has now changed because we, we lost our old account. So our new account is is called... Um, God, what is it called? Is it Clutch, Clutch Tennis, Tennis Pod? Clutch Tennis Pod. Yeah, it's good. It's good when even I can't remember the name. But yeah, uh, um, give it a follow. I'd also just like to throw in that um, the unit challenge that we did. I started off by being thrown under the bus by suggesting units that that actually won, and then it not being posted, so it didn't count. Um, and then I was starting on a negative, so I can only can only say that I was hindered. Yeah, that, that wasn't great for me. Um, so, and on in terms of the unit challenge, um, so five unit challenge, pretty pretty self explanatory. We have five units, use them however we want throughout the fortnight, and it's whoever, whoever ends with the five unit wins. Um, despite my my faux pas there with, with forgetting to tweet that, Charlie still won, um, ending on three point oh three units. So that's that's still a two unit loss, but nevertheless, coming away with some. Excuse me, coming with something, and I ended with a um, a pretty poor one point seven eight units. Um, and then with our tips pass challenge, so tips pass is a bet for round evens. We do it every every week on the podcast, um, but for Wimbledon, we produce one every day over on the Twitter. Um, and Charlie, you won that as well. It's it's quite rare that you you win these challenges, but you've you've managed to win both. So so fair play to you. You You're a hater. I win everything. <laughs> well, I've I've been on this podcast long enough to 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 stand by what I said. Um, but anyway, you ended on um, seven and four, so three up, which is very good. Uh, I ended on five and six, so one down. And Jack also played long um, and ended up at three and six, so three down. 
So yeah, that's Wimbledon. Have you got any any thoughts? Uh, no, the event as a whole was just a bit. I don't know. I didn't really enjoy week one. Week two, I enjoyed much more. Um, from a just spectator's point of view, um, I felt like it was it was hindered a lot by the rain, by the weather. Felt like it was a very stop-start event in week one. No rhythm. Players having to play two games, come off and come back the next day. It was, I don't know, it felt felt odd. Uh, and it was really hard for me, especially to get into because of time zones with matches not potentially starting till like 4pm each day. Um, and uh, little other things as well that just kind of annoyed me. And these are discussions for wider tennis chat, to be honest, rather than results. But like matches starting at 1pm on show courts and then not being able to finish three matches, like... It's so having Murray having to come back from two sets to one up momentum with him coming back the next day and then not getting the result like in potentially one of his last ever slams. It just really leaves a sour taste. Um, so I don't know. A couple of things like that. I don't know if you wanted to add anything to that. No, I, I agree. I, I thought it was, it was a good event on the whole. I enjoyed it. Um, I thought it was much better than last year, which was just a bit of flat the whole way through, but I thought there were quite a lot of good matches. Obviously a really good final, which which helps. The neither of the semis were were that great to be honest, despite a, a, a good lineup on paper. Um and yeah, I mean the the sched they they really let themselves down with the scheduling this year. I think it's I, I think uh, I think Jose Morgado, the the Portuguese tennis journalist, tweeted something like if you you know if, if you can't finish three matches on your on your main court with no no delays then something's wrong with your scheduling um so i, I think they've really got to look into that this year it just uh, makes no sense even... even even like what you've got to do is you've got to look at those matches now that there's a definitive end as well like in a fifth set it can't just go forever anymore like you got to look at it and say like what's the maximum amount of time that these matches could go on for and prepare for that and if it means starting your, your main court at at 11 then your main court starts at 11 like why does it have to start in the afternoon i, I just don't get it um yeah, and, and they've got the curfew as well so they can't play past 11 yeah uh, unlike the other slams um, and even they start early like i've been to the aussie open mm. a couple of times now the rod laver starts at like half 10 i missed the first couple of games a couple of times because i couldn't get across the city in time um and that's my own fault but like it just made more sense um, I know they partially do it there because it means that you get the uh, the cooler temperatures at either side. But um, anyway, whatever. Now you wanted to do a bit of a recap for for kind of our our predictions on the whole. I think we did a prediction podcast right at the very start of the year, predicting kind of top tens and slam winners and so on and so forth. And we're just over halfway through the year, so I think you wanted to kind of run through that. So we'll we'll leave you to go through that one, Luke. Yeah, I mean, I just thought it was, a, it was a good time to kind of go through it because I feel like in the past we've kind of often neglected it, but it's sometimes kind of kind of good to see, you know, how how we're doing, where we've done well, where we've done badly. Um, and as you say, we've we've had three slams now. We've got got one to go. Uh, four more Masters, I think, planned, and then the ATP Finals as well. So still quite a lot of points up for grabs tennis to be played, but um, you know, we're well into the year now. Um, so yeah, do do give that podcast a listen if you haven't already. Um, I think it's done kind of December January time quite a bit. Uh, where we, yeah, as Charlie said, basically predicted 
Sorry. So we we all predicted our top ten. Uh, that's me, Jack, and Charlie. Um, so going off going off the race to Turin at the moment, um, we have Alcaraz one, Djokovic two, Medvedev three, Rublev at four, uh, Sits past five, Sinner six, Runa seven, Rude eight, Fritz nine, and Kachanov ten. Um, so I guess the obvious thing to say is um, we didn't. <coughs> neither of us had Fritz or Kachanov. Um, they're having having decent years so far. Um, Rublev up there at four. Um, I had him tenth in my list. Jack had him ninth, and he did not make your list, Charlie. Nope. Which is is not looking great. Um, neither did Yannick Sinner, who's sitting at sixth. Um, <laughs> and then I had him ninth. Jack tenth. Um, but I managed to omit Holger Rune, which is is not looking great. Um, who's who's sitting at seven? Um, we also all had Djokovic at number one, but he's currently sitting at two, and you'd probably expect Alcaraz to to finish the year number one, although obviously you never know. I mean, my only logic behind that was that I just didn't think that um, I thought Djokovic would win Wimbledon. I also thought that um, uh, he'd win the, the Aussie as well, so I thought two slams out of three and probably a semi in the other two. I just presumed he'd top it because I didn't think Alcaraz would win the French which he obviously didn't but uh, I thought Nadal would I didn't think he'd win Wimbledon I didn't think he'd win the the Aussie I just thought he might win the US so yeah no that's fair enough I mean that that was my logic as well I mean Djokovic has performed brilliantly well in the slams I mean two two titles and a final um, compared to Alcaraz uh, one title and a semi then the Aussie Open missed um, but due to kind of the other events, the Masters, which Djokovic has either not played in or not done well in, whereas Alcaraz has won uh, two, I think this year. That's that's the main reason why he's won and Djokovic is two. Mm. Um, and there's, I mean, Medvedev was, I mean, neither of us, none of us really knew where to put him at the start of the year. Um, but he's been quite comfortably the the third best player in the world. I think this this year. I mean, we, me and you both had him at five. Um, and Jack had him at seven, um, so he's he's kind of exceeded our expectations so far, and coming into his favourite time of the year as well. Yeah, so, for sure. So we'll see if he can maybe do better than that. I I, I can't see him finishing below three given the way he's played this year. Um, and Rublev as well, winning winning a Masters title, um, won the title last week as well. Um, and had yeah a pretty decent year hasn't quite broken new ground yet at the slams. He still hasn't made a slam semi, but um, on on the whole, pretty consistent. And I think he has improved a bit this year as well. Yeah, no, I would, I would agree. Um, I mean, I just think that the, so, so do we have kind of like a, um, uh, the, the slam winners as such. So what would we have? We've had, we've had Djokovic, uh, then, the French was Djokovic as well. So we've had Djokovic twice. Um, and so Djokovic might still finish number one, actually, to be fair. Two slams. Um, and then Alcaraz. So none of us picked Alcaraz. None of us picked Djokovic, I don't think, for the French, did we? Um, I, I picked Alcaraz for the French. Um, yeah. You both picked Nadal. And then we yeah. all went with Djokovic for Wimbledon and the Aussie Open. 
So we've all pretty much hit the same there in that we've got got one out yeah. of three. Um, but the, the US Open will be we've we've all gone different actually for that one. Um you went for Sitsapass, um uh, I went for Zverev and Jack went for Djokovic. I so, yeah, mine is not gonna win. I am not that confident on mine. You never know. Sitsapass is is too busy with other things in his life. He just doesn't care about tennis anymore. Yeah, it does seem that way. I mean, after after such a bright start to the year, um, it's just yeah, I don't, I don't know what's happened to him. I mean, he, he played well at Wimbledon, in fairness. It's because he's shagging Latinos now. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> moving swiftly on. Um, the only other kind of things we had, um, we have we had a wild card as well for the top ten. Um, so someone who's never broken into the top ten before is kind of a, a bonus pick. So we we get extra points if if they make it in. Um, and we we've all got, always gone for the same player, and this year we went for Nick Kyrgios, who at the moment is tied with me and you in the in the race to Turin, and that he has no wins this year. So, I oh dear. Yeah, <laughs> I can't um, I can't see Kyrgios breaking into the top ten this year. I mean he. Even if he wins the US Open or something like that, I think it's probably still too many points to make up. And I mean, God knows what's going on with him and his injuries and his mental state. So I think it's actually more his injuries this year, in fairness. I think he actually has been yeah. legitimately not able to play. Hmm. It was what, a torn ligament? Uh, it, was a, it was a torn meniscus, hmm. which is the cartilage in your knee, for those who don't know. Ah, okay. Yeah, I, I didn't know. So thanks. It doesn't um, so yeah, that stuff. It has to have surgery normally, or conservative management if it's not that bad. But well, we'll see. I mean, this is again. This is, this is the time of year that he usually enjoys. He played probably the best ten of his of his career at the U.S. Swing last year. Um, so we'll we'll see what state he can get himself into. Um, and then the the only other thing we had we we predict a first time title winner, um, and that has. Also not gone too well, because uh, you and Jack both went for Alex Molchan, um, who I don't think has come particularly close. I think he made, what, one semi? Yep. Um, but did not win the title. Oh, he, and... he's, he's had a bad year. He hasn't looked good. No, he hasn't had a good year at all. Um, and he's running out of clay events, really. I think this might be the... Um, maybe there's one next week as well. Um, but yeah, he's, he's playing Hamburg. He's got Zverev round one, so... Not looking great for Molchan, um, and then my my pick of Jack Draper is just can't can't go two matches without getting injured. I mean, it's such a shame. He's he's definitely good enough to win a title. Um, I don't think anyone can deny that. But part of being good enough to win a title means that you need to be able to play a full best of three match without cramping. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I mean, you never know. But I mean, there's there's no kind of word on, on when he'll be fit I haven't, I haven't really heard anything or seen anything so I guess we'll wait and see he's you know he's still got a chance maybe at the indoor events at the end of the year where you know other players might be less motivated um, whereas he, he might be a bit more given he hasn't played much this year uh, but it's, it's looking like we're going to be 0-3 for, for that yeah and normally we're pretty good at that as well so that's a shame I mean, I'm, um, I'm not, but you are. Yeah, 
yeah. Okay. Well, that's kind of the recap from from that. So thank you for doing that, Luke. And no that, yeah, basically we. That wasn't too boring. No, I was going to say basically we're not we're not very good. Is what we've kind of suggested here. Um, a moderate yeah, I mean, for Wimbledon and a poor start of the year prediction. So. Yeah, I mean our our top tens were were not too bad. We had there's only <coughs> there's only two there's only Fritz and Kachanov that that none of us had. Whereas I feel like usually there's at least three or four names that we omit. I mean there's there's still t- obviously still time for someone else to break in, but uh... yeah. Um. Anyway, so this week, as I say, ATP Hamburg, which is a 500 level event, um, played normally on quite heavy slow clay. Um, nice big venue though, it's quite cool. Um, ATP Atlanta, which is a 250 hardcore event over in the US, and ATP Umag, which is a 250 clay event over in Croatia. Um, now, obviously, uh, the clay events actually both play more like true clay this week, they're, they're slower. Um, unlike last week, where you had the vast difference between um, Gestad, where all the big hitters go, and Bastad, which is played at sea level, where, where it's super slow. This week, they're both kind of, I would call them moderately slow courts. Um, Atlanta's your, your traditional American hard. Um, it's relatively quick. Um, and uh, it, it'll it'll take, obviously, um, uh, sorry, um, bigger servers and bigger hitters will tend to do quite well on it. Um, it's kind of in the run-up to your US. If you just imagine that any event held in the US from now is going to be played on courts that are at least vaguely similar to the US Open, that's how I would think of it. Um, so that's kind of all I'm going to say about the courts and the the level of events. It's pretty poor over in Atlanta and over in Umag, to be honest with you. Um, but but Hamburgers, the 500, has the slightly bigger draw. Um, so moving into kind of, we'll just go straight into our sort of tipping section rather than discussing each event individually. Um, and I've got a fourfold today. Um, to be honest with you, it's not, I don't love it, but it, it is what it is. Um, I've taken Casper Rude to beat Seb Byers. I believe that's over in Umag. Um, Hamburg. Is it Hamburg? Oh, it is. Yeah, sorry. No, I'm India. Why would Rude go to Umag? Um, yeah, so Rude beating Byers at one to four. Um, Byers hasn't really even been able to pick up wins reliably on clay this season. Um, and Casper Rude was in the final last week. Yes, I think those odds are only there because he lost a set six love in that final. There wasn't any injury hindering him. He just got blown away by um, Andre Rublev. Um, Seb Byers isn't going to do that to him, and Kasper Ruud is going to have all the time he likes off either wing to construct points and take Seb Byers off the court. I think that's as safe as a match as you're going to get. One to four, great value. Um, I've got Alejandro Davidovich for Kina to beat Pedro Kashin. I'm taking a little bit of a fade on this. Um, I'm presuming Kashin will play because he's going to try and ride the momentum and pick up as many points as he can. It's not that common that he plays 500 events, um, yet alone has a genuine chance. So I think he definitely will play. He won't be withdrawing after his title win. However, very different um, conditions. He's going to be really, really, really hard pushed to hit through the court like he was able to with ease over at Gestad. Um, and Alejandro Davidovich Fakina has much more firepower and creativity uh, than Kachin has. Um, and I think, therefore, it kind of nullifies the strengths of, um, of Pedro. I think he will be able to hit through the court easier than him. And I think that when Kachin gets caught lurking back to try and be able to retrieve more balls, I think Davidic Fakina can mix it up with his, uh, 
it sort of forehand drop shot quite nicely as well. Kashin doesn't have that kind of touch and feel, um, not readily available anyway. Um, and the only benefit that he may have is potentially a slightly stronger serve. So as long as Davido Shakina keeps his head, four to seven is a good price there, I think. Um, I've then gone over to Atalanta for my other two picks of this fourfold. Um, and I've got Kokonakis to beat Gail Monfils. Sure, do you ever really want to go against Monfils? Uh, I no. don't know, maybe not. But, <laughs> Definitely um, not. But eight to 15 to beat a guy who has won literally one match, and that match was at the French Open in five sets, I think is a good price. Um, I, I've seen nothing from Monfils other than that to suggest that he's capable of playing at ATP level again. And until he does, prices like this are purely based on namesake for him. They're based on the fact that his name is Gael Monfils. Um, if it was an imposter named as Gael Monfils, it would have the same price because it's Gael Monfils. Um, so Kokonak is here. Great mover on these type of hard courts. Tough to beat at the best of times. Even a good Monfils would still have to work hard to win this one. Um, big forehand. Stable enough off the backhand and a great athlete. Um, I think Kokonakis would make this would be a bad matchup for Monfils coming back from an injury at any time, yet alone in this sort of slump. Uh, so Kokonakis eight to fifteen, I just I just don't see him losing. Um, and then the criminally underrated by the bookies again, Ben Shelton um, against Juncheng Shang. It'll be a game of cat and mouse. Ben Shelton, bigger hitter, lefty. Um, big server will try and dominate on the front foot, potentially get into the net and win points up there. Uh, Shang will definitely try and counter punch from the back. Um, that's kind of all that needs to be said about that one. I think it'll largely come down to the fact that Ben Shelton has the capability to win easy points off his serve. Shang definitely doesn't. I see breaks coming more readily for Ben Shelton than Shang. And I see him getting the better of it. And I'm really surprised by a four to seven price, which would suggest that it's not that far off a dead heat, which is wrong because Ben Shelton should be clear favourite. Um, so that fourfold, Kasparud one to four to beat Spires, Davide Fakina to beat Kashin at four to seven, Kokonakis to beat Monfils at eight to fifteen, and Shelton to beat Juncheng Chang at four to seven. Whole thing fourfold three point seven three to one. And my tips are pass actually. We'll go with Ben Shelton, and we'll go Ben Shelton minus two point five. Very nice. Yeah, we've got a couple of overlapping picks um i mean I, I struggled to ever justify going against morphe's but your 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 logic is sound there and i do think kokonakis should be fine um trying to remember yeah i mean catching you could you could definitely see the the kind of the, the post first atp come down if you like um very very common that after someone wins their first title or kind of biggest title of their career, they uh, they lose in round one the next week. Um, yeah, for me, that's also just more so the condition change. Like, it's it's such an extreme mm. contrast between where he's played last week and this week. It's almost like going from grass to clay. Like, it's it, it's crazy, really. Yeah, I mean, that that's something that I didn't really even take into account. Maybe the bookies haven't either. So, so yeah, I, I like that pick. Um, I'll get to mine then. I've also got Casper Ruth to beat uh, Seb Byers at one to four. Um, yeah, I, I just don't see Ruth losing this. Um, but looked like he he got through the week pretty easily um, last week in in Bastad. Obviously, came unstuck in the final, but 
Um, from what I've heard, Ribblev played an excellent match, and he's a completely different um, level of opponent uh, to Byers. Obviously, Byers has no mug on this surface, um, but he hasn't had the the kind of year that that many, including myself, expected on the clay. Um, I think he lost um, his first match last week at Bastad. Uh, maybe to Corey, I want to say, which is which is not a great result, really. Um, and yeah, I just think with rude serve and, and forehand, I, I just struggle to see how how Byers can counter that unless Rude has an off day, um, which at these kind of events do, don't seem to be very often on the clay. Um, so I, I think that's that's a pretty nice safe pick there at one to four. Um, sticking with Hamburg, I've got uh, Lazlo Gera to beat uh, Guido Pea at four to eleven. Um, this is actually a round two match. Um, Gera. Had a very nice uh, first round match win today against uh, Thomas Martin Edgeveri in straight sets. Um, he won a couple of matches at Wimbledon too, so he's clearly playing some quite good stuff. Um, I actually saw a bit of him on the outside courts um, against Cressy, who's returning that that big serve really well. Um, so that that bodes well for him in this matchup. Pay is obviously quite a big hitter, but I don't think he's kind of the the same level of player that he. He was prior to his his kind of long term injury that that ruled him out for a while. Um, he's he's had quite a lot of time back now, so he's he's playing at a reasonable level. Obviously, well enough to to win a round here, but um, um, but Jera does really well at these these kind of slightly lower level clay events. That's why he picks up the majority of his points. Um, he he won Rio a few years ago. Um, another kind of slightly lower quality clay court five hundred. Um, so I expect him to to beat Pear and reach the quarters here at four to eleven. Um, stick with Hamburg again. I've got Arta Feast to beat uh, Daniel Lahi Galan at eight to fifteen. Um, Feast is a very good athlete, and I just think he's going to make Galan overpress on this, as you mentioned, quite slow clay court. Um, and Galan coming into this had to play qualifying and um, struggled, to be honest. Um, he dropped a set against the wildcard Rayberg in in the first round and then lost um, his final qualifying match to Jan Choinski in three sets. Um, so he won't be coming into this with a lot of confidence. Um, I just think Fies is, is going to make him make a lot of balls. Um, he's someone who's kind of on the up at the moment, kind of breaking through on the tour, won his first title a few months ago uh, on the clay in Lyon. Um, so I definitely think he has the edge in this matchup. Um, and then, yeah, I agree with you about Ben Shelton. I think he's also, he's kind of overlooked by the bookies. And I think Shang is kind of um, the opposite of that. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think of the word. Kind of overvalued, if you like, by the bookies. Um, so I've taken that that match at four to seven in favour of Shelton. Uh, I believe this is his home event. Um this this time last year was kind of his his breakthrough period because he got a couple of wild cards into these events um, and played really well to be honest. Um, I remember he beat Casper Rude at one of them, um, Cincinnati. I want to say um, that was when he's completely new to the tour, kind of just out of college. Um, and now with, with you know a lot more experience on his shoulders, I think he's he's gonna be pretty dangerous on these in, the, in these next few months in front of the home crowds. On these slightly quicker hard courts, where it favours his game of uh, big forehands and big big serves, um, so I I really like that price at four to seven. 
and that's my four fold. Um, so Rude to beat Baez at one to four, Jera to beat Payer at four to eleven, Feast to beat Galan at eight to fifteen, and Shelton to beat Shang at four to seven. And that fourfold um, has odds of three point one to one. And I will join you on your tips past Charlie and take Shelton minus two point five games. Sounds good. And um, and then obviously with the outrights, we only have odds at the moment for for Hamburg. I think um, from what you've you've sent us. So we'll just quickly do an outright. So. Yeah, we'll just quickly do an outright for Hamburg. We might tweet out some of the others. Um, I'll be nice and quick with it. Um, I'm going to take Andre Rublev as my outright. I think 72 is actually a good price there. Um, he's just won over in Bastad. He's playing great tennis and he loves ATP Hamburg. It's one of his favorite events of the year. Um, I would struggle to look beyond him. And if you're looking for a, a wild card, somebody who just might kind of break through, something a bit more out there. I'm just quickly flicking through the list now because I didn't actually prep this part. Um, oh, I don't really have much that I like the look of. I'd probably go Davidovich for Keener at 18 to 1. I think he's got the firepower to beat anyone. Um, and I like that price at least, but I don't think he wins. Um, I think Rublev is the only real standout value for me here. Yeah, no, we've, we've actually gone for the same two. I, I don't mind Rublev's odds at, at, uh, at 7 to 2. He's, he finds himself in the nicer half of the draw. He's avoided Rude, obviously. Excuse me. Um, it's also avoided Alex Ferev. Um, So, I think given the form he showed last week and his his record in five hundreds, um, this was his his first five hundred title, I believe. Uh, well, um, yeah, it it was. Um, so, yeah, I I think he probably wins wins the event. Um, at three and a half to one, I, I, I don't mind that price anyway. Um, and then yeah, my wild card, actually, the person who I picked to win his first title two years ago and still not done it, uh, Davidich Fakina. Um, but at eighty to one again, I don't mind that price. Um, he is he is someone as you say who has the firepower to um, to beat any of these names. To be honest, on clay court. Uh, but it's just, can he string it together? Probably not. But he can do it if, if he puts his mind to it. And 18 to 1 is, is decent odds there. So go each way on that. Yep. Well, sounds like we, we have a lot of the same views. Um, and if they don't win, then we'll have no winners. And we will change it from Clutch Tennis Pod to um, the Major League Pickleball Pod. Um <laughs> God. and support a different sport um and on that note please <laughs> on that note sport. i would like to play i think i'll be pretty good um anyway on that note that kind of rounds off this week um so thank you for joining me and for going through so much of that kind of recap stuff at the start luke no worries thank you charlie no worries um please do follow once again at clutch tennis pod i think it is um on our twitter um it made it so much easier when it was just the twitter name of this podcast but anyway um that's fine clutch tennis pod give us a follow keep up to date with our in play tweets and um we'll be back next week for some more all right all the best <laughs>